Our scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 13. Hear God's holy and infallible word. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We are continuing in our sermon series on the parables throughout our preview worship services. Some of them are more comforting than others. Some of them are challenging to our conception of what the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus is often undermining our own understanding of a kingdom in our world and how that's different from the kingdom in his world. There are difficult words that he speaks to the people in his day. They challenge us as well. As we come to his word, we need his help. So let us pray together. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to understand it. Illuminate our hearts. May it bring comfort and conviction. May it guide us in the path of righteousness. May it exalt Christ, our only hope in this life. We pray in his name. Amen. There are a couple things from this parable that are easy for us to translate into our own culture. Right? We have these business transactions happening. There's these two little parables. They're very related. They're almost always taken together throughout the preaching of these passages throughout all of church history. Two ways of saying the same thing. Right? Uh, and there's a lot of commonality. We all understand uh, what it means to go buy a field to work. Maybe wanting to keep something a secret. We understand the value of fine jewelry, the desire to want nice things. But there's also some things that are a bit odd. It's like we've been transported into some sort of uh, pirate story where there's this hidden treasure. Uh, and that just doesn't compute to our context. But it wouldn't have been that uncommon at this time for there to be treasure hidden in a field. At, at the time when Jesus lived, there weren't banks where you would go and put all of your money and they would pay you interest and loan it out to other people. Instead, you would take your valuable, valuable possessions and if you were worried about them being stolen, you would literally bury them in your field. And of course, we live in a cruel and harsh world. And so oftentimes somebody would die unexpectedly, a war would come, and nobody would know where the treasure was. You might not even know that your dad had any treasure in the field to begin with. And so it would be found, perhaps, hopefully, by somebody. And that's what happens in our first little parable here. And so the kingdom of heaven is being described in two different ways. It's being described as a treasure, and it's being described as a pearl Both of these people find it, and it causes them to make a decision, and that decision leads to some disruption in their life. And so this is kind of the the three-step process we see in these two parables. There's a discovery of the kingdom, there's a decision about the kingdom, and there's a disruption that the kingdom brings. But really, the question that Jesus is answering... The question that Jesus is responding to that he's trying to drill home for his listeners, for us, is how much is the kingdom of heaven worth? 
What is the value we can place on the kingdom of heaven? And when we come to the kingdom of heaven, we often ask that same type of question. Is it worth it? This idea of value, of worth, is something certainly we're all familiar with, and especially when it comes to monetary valuation of things. Uh, The way that we value money is the third leading cause of strife in all relationships, especially in marriages. And value is how we are going to respond to any given situation. If we value something, we will put forth a certain amount of risk, a certain amount of resources. But the reality is that we too often devalue the kingdom of heaven. We undervalue the kingdom of heaven. And really, we do it in two different ways. One is we undervalue the treasure. As we've talked through different parables, I hope it's become clear to you that things like the treasure and the pearl point us to Jesus. We undervalue the worth of our Savior. That's one way we undervalue the kingdom of heaven. The other way we undervalue it is that we overvalue ourselves. That'll be our two points today. So how do we undervalue the kingdom? If you think about the way we talk about the kingdom of heaven, the way we approach the kingdom of heaven, we might write parables that say something like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a new TV show on Netflix. When a man discovered it, he added it to his queue to watch after he finished the office again. We have a take it or leave it mindset in our culture where we can go to church later or when I grow up or after I sow those wild oats, I will come back. A message too often heard. Or we might put a parable like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a new restaurant. When a man discovered it, he ate there and gave it a five-star Yelp review. He will probably go again next week. This consumer mindset that we can come and go, that we come to receive, we come to be consumers. Or how about this one? The kingdom of heaven is like a man who invested his wealth into a variety of funds. Some of his investments did poorly, but because some of his investments did well, he still made money. We are people so prone to hedge our bets. We're unwilling to put all of our eggs in one basket. We find it wise to diversify. Perhaps we are in fully theologically, but we are not in in our actions. Sadly, this is how we often try to sell the church to people. We're trying to sell this church plant to people. We think what we are doing is important work in Fargo. But oftentimes the message is this. Jesus will help you. He will make you happy. Perhaps. But is that what the kingdom of heaven is? Is that the full value of the kingdom of heaven? We have great music. I'm sorry, guys. That's not what I'm selling people. We have a great children's program. Actually, we don't even have a children's program at our church. It's an encouraging service. Or we turn on the Christian radio station and it's positive and uplifting. 
Now, these aren't bad things. We want to be encouraged. We know Christ can make our lives better, perhaps. We love good music and great programs for our children to grow up in the knowledge and admonition of the Lord. We ought to be encouraging one another, and yet we've reduced the kingdom of heaven, the gospel, to these appeals to man's own sensibilities. This isn't the message that Jesus spoke to people. You can think even from day one, when he is going to call his disciples, he sees Simon and Andrew in their, in their boats with their dad working on the nets, and he says, come and follow me. And their response wasn't to come later. It wasn't to ask what's in it for me. It wasn't to be encouraged and uplifted. They left behind their livelihood. They left behind their father. And they followed after Jesus. Why? Because they understood the value of following after the promised one. Jesus Christ, that promised Messiah who was going to come. And they knew he was far more valuable than their current circumstance. Jesus has even sharper words in Luke chapter 12. He says, do you think that I have come to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided. Three against two, two against three. They will be divided. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Following Jesus might bring division. It might not make your life more happy in this temporal sense. Of course, Jesus also promises in Matthew 19 that everyone who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my namesake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. The promise of the gospel, the good news of the gospel is not that we will have our best life now. It's that we can have Christ now. We can have forgiveness now. The value of the gospel is not found in our own pleasure. It's found in Christ. And so, too often we undervalue the treasure, but I think perhaps... More often, we overvalue ourselves. Our opening passage and our call to worship is from Revelation chapter 5. There's these different images of uh, the worship in heaven, and the new heavens and the new earth, where these elders are there, and they're calling everybody to worship, and there's all of these crazy creatures, and just continually, day and night, they are calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And everybody is falling on their faces, That's what heaven is going to be like. But if I'm honest with myself, if you're honest with yourself, I don't know that we really want that type of life. I want heaven to be about me and finding my old friends and eating bacon-wrapped awesomeness. Because I think it's all about me. I overvalue myself. And the idea of spending day after day, hour after hour, worshiping, 
uh, rubs against my own sense of self-worth. Because I've devalued Christ and I've overvalued myself. We don't understand the bad news fully. And if we don't understand the bad news, we don't understand the good news. Think if uh, I came up to you after church today and I said, uh, here's some pills. Uh, Trust me, you really need to take these. Take like one a day. You'll be good. Uh, First thing you might think is this pastor is a weirdo. Uh, The second thing is you probably would not listen to me. Right? You don't understand why you should take these pills. I'm certainly not somebody that should be giving out pills. (laughs) There's no bad news to compel you to act. Now, in another scenario, you're in a doctor's office and he tells you about this terminal illness you have. And he says, look, if you don't do something about this, you will die in six months. Well, your ears might perk up. You won't think he's a weirdo. And you will certainly listen to what he has to say next. And he gives you the same pills and he says, you need to just take one of these every day. And you'll recover. You'll be fine. Your life will be prolonged. But the difference between these two scenarios isn't the remedy, right? We both had the same pills. It's the lack of understanding about what the bad news was to compel us to obey, to listen to the good news. The good news is only good in light of bad news. And as we think of ourselves so highly, well, the bad news isn't that bad. Too often we view ourselves as being pretty good Our lives in 21st century America are pretty good. We're richer than anybody in the history of the world, even at the lowest end of our socioeconomic spectrum. We can build little kingdoms for ourselves. We can play the role of God pretty accurately as we try to be sovereign over our own lives. But Jesus tells us that he didn't come to save the righteous. He came to save sinners. And if we view ourselves as not that bad, then the good news isn't that good. I spoke earlier about discovery, decision, and disruption. The idea of the decision and disruption as a response to the discovery, is really a ruse. It's not that these people uh, found these great treasures. They came and the first man mistakenly finds a treasure buried in a field. And it's not as though in this passage he sits there and thinks, hmm, what should I do? In fact, he kind of seems to make somewhat of a morally questionable decision. He doesn't tell anybody. He maybe deceives the landowner in order to get it. And the man who is seeking after pearls, he is seeking after something of great value. He doesn't have to think twice about the decision he's going to make. And the disruption that both of these men cause in their life to go and to sell everything in order to get the treasure. There was really no decision or disruption at all. In fact, the discovery is the thing that enabled them. When they truly discovered the value of the treasure. Could you imagine walking through your job 
stumbling over a box and just gold coins like flying out all over the place, knowing that nobody else knows about it. Think of a, an example from our own context. Whatever tragedies happen in our world, whether it's a shooting at a school or a fire at a neighborhood home, there's a discovery of something that's urgent. And the first responders that show up, they aren't making a decision. They aren't thinking about the disruption in their life. They are discovering that there's people in need and they run in and face the difficult risk ahead of them. It's the discovery of the value, the value of those people inside that causes them to just go, to risk everything. The value of one person. So when we have a right value of the kingdom of heaven, when we see the treasure, when we see the pearl, there's no decision and disruption. We're not weighing the costs. It ought to compel us to immediately go and do whatever we need to do in order to get it. That man who goes in the field, it's likely he didn't have much means. But when he finds the treasure, he does everything he possibly can in order that he might receive the treasure. Selling everything so he can buy the field. His discovery was one of accidental discovery. The other man is intentionally seeking after valuable pearls. And he too, when he sees that pearl of great value, he can't help but sell everything to gain such a valuable item. That's how our response to the kingdom of heaven ought to be. But too often we are unwilling to sell everything. We are hedging our bets. We are take it or leave it. We are consumeristic. Jesus in this parable reminds us that if we are unsure of the kingdom's worth, if we want to be kind of half in, pick up a part-time job in the kingdom of heaven, if we are unwilling to decide and to disrupt our lives, to lose absolutely everything, then the terrifying truth is that we've not truly discovered what the kingdom of heaven is. Because when we discover what the kingdom of heaven is truly like, those aren't questions we ask. So whether we come to the kingdom accidentally, we stumble into, you know, many people get brought to a Bible camp with their friend. You stumble into a church service. You run into a friend and you hear about the kingdom of heaven. When you grasp even a little bit of its glory, it causes you to decide and disrupt everything in your life to seek after it, that you can gain possession because of its immeasurable value. Or maybe we are in this intentional seeking out. Maybe we even view ourselves as, yeah, I was sold out for Jesus back then. 
We need to continually remind ourselves of how great and glorious our Savior is and how wretched we are without Him. To be sober-minded about the bad news that apart from Christ, we are doomed. I saw a quote recently that said, God saved us from Himself to Himself for Himself. And people got really mad that it said God saved us from Himself. But it's true. The bad news is that every little sin that we commit, every time we lie or not do the right thing, every time we have hatred in our heart, it is a sin against God Almighty. And His wrath is being stored up in judgment against us. And if we view our sins as not that big a deal, if we can cover it up with our own band-aid, well, then the good news isn't good news. But if we can come and look at ourselves with sober-mindedness, know that we are poor and wretched, that God has every just right to judge us, to condemn us, to pour out His wrath on us, well, then we are needy sinners and we need a Savior. And the good news is so good. We stand before Him guilty, except that somebody has paid the price. Somebody else has come and shed the blood that we ought to have shed ourselves. It's an image in this meal that we participate in every time we gather for worship. That Christ, the good news is not that Jesus will make you happy. The good news is that Jesus died and you don't have to. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds treasure and when he finds it, he does everything. He abandons his whole life. He's all in. And the image of these parables can be flipped on their head because we're not just told to be all in, but we have a God who gave up everything in order to save us, sending even his only son to come and to die a brutal, shameful death on our behalf. He didn't just give a little bit in order to bring about our salvation. He gave it all. Just as we sang today, Jesus paid it all. May getting a glimpse of his glory cause us to respond to him. To count everything else as rubbish, invaluable. And that we might look to Christ as the pearl of great value. And look forward to the day when we can spend all eternity worshiping him. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help. We need to see who you truly are. Father, we devalue you so much in our minds as we make our own kingdoms. Help us, convict us of our lukewarm understanding. Stir in us the desire to pursue you with our hearts, not to earn our way to the kingdom but just to be full of thankfulness that you've paid the way for us to be there. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.